want you to go in Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about ministry in the tabernacle. And then maybe look at one or two verses in the New Testament. And we'll see how far we can get, possibly with some application of some of these things. In Numbers chapter 1, beginning with verse 49, Thou shalt not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony and over the vessels thereof and over all things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof. They shall minister unto it and shall encamp round about the tabernacle. Notice verse 53. And the Levites shall pitch round about the tabernacle of testimony that there be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel and the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of testimony. Numbers is a very interesting book in that you have essentially two senses that are taken. The one regarding coming out of Egypt with the Exodus and then another one towards the end of the book in chapter 26 where they're in the plains of Moab. And if you read the first chapter, you'll notice that the reason that they took the numbering of the people was to find out who was old enough for war. The Lord was very interested in them having some accountability of who could fight, who could bear a sword, who was old enough, physically able to go into these particular situations that were really quite dangerous when they had to go to battle. You remember that the Bible has a number of wars in it. The Old Testament really, in some regards, is a book about wars. Abraham being the first general went up against the kings of the east with 318 men. The book of Exodus telling the stories of them coming out of Egypt. But then as you get into Numbers and Deuteronomy, you read of the stories of their battles in the wilderness with the Amalekites and other people. In the book of Joshua how they went into the promised land and overcame various enemies because of the battles. And let's not forget judges where they were warring constantly. So when you read the scriptures, you see that you had to be able to fight to survive. And there was a time in Israel's life when they came out of Egypt that the Lord took them a certain pathway because he said if they saw war, they would faint. They weren't ready. They weren't physically capable. They weren't mentally stable enough to fight anybody. But at this point, Moses has to whip them into shape and God wants to know about the numbering of the people. But at the same time, when God brought them out, he gave them a tabernacle. And by providing them with a house, he told them in the book of Leviticus, as well as in Exodus, how to arrange it and the types of sacrifices that were to be offered and the various feasts that were to be kept. But in verse 49 of number, Numbers 1, the Lord says, you are not to count Levi. Why? 
because they are not for war. They are for worship. They are not going to bear the sword. They are not going to be in the midst of battle, attacking people and fighting people. Their main focus and concentration is the house of God. They are there to ensure that the presence of God can abide in the tabernacle. Now, of course, if you're an Israelite going to war, you might have wished for those additional numbers. But if you understand the presence and the judgment and the holy, awe-inspiring presence of God, then you want the Levites doing what they're supposed to do, lest the wrath of God breaks out on the whole nation. So verse 49, you don't count the sum of them. But verse 50 says they're to receive an appointment. They're to handle the tabernacle, not the tribe of Issachar, not the tribe of Ephraim. But this specific group of people is to handle the tabernacle. Now, it didn't matter if one of the other tribes felt like they should be given that responsibility and wanted to volunteer for that responsibility. If you weren't born a Levite, you could not be involved with the sanctifying processes or even with the sanctity of the tent that they used during that time. Okay, so then if if that's the case, if we have vessels and things that belong to it and the tabernacle has to be born from one place to another, it says in verse 50, they shall encamp around about the tabernacle. So if you've ever seen images or pictures of this, then you know that there were 12 tribes, three tribes camped on either side of the tabernacle, but they were further away from the tabernacle of testimony so that room could be made around the tabernacle for the Levites. And the whole point of the Levites was to form a buffer area so that the other Israelites could never get too close to that holy place. And it was the Levites' responsibility to do that. Again, that was their main concentration. Everything with them was about the house of God. Well, if we, if we really think about that, their whole world centered around the tabernacle from morning to night. Their lifestyle, what they were able to do, weren't able to do. And from a natural perspective, building on that, look at how important uh, uh, the church is in the life of many families, that their lives oftentimes revolve around the house of God. Now, that's not the testimony of a lot of people, but that is the testimony of some people that whatever takes place around God's house, believers want to be able to minister and be able to be a part of what's God doing. Let's not forget the Levites were all men and the Levites had to be a certain age and the women weren't allowed to come into the tabernacle area. But Revelation chapter one says we have all been made kings and priests unto God. And now your body physically is the spiritual temple of the Holy Spirit. So then everything about your life has to deal with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. When we come together corporately, we are still the house of God. And what we do with the rest of our life, still we should find that central to every aspect of our life is how we live with God, how we minister to God. 
And again, uh, some people's lives don't revolve around the will of God, the church of God, the life of God, the house of God, the blood of Jesus. Some people's lives revolve around the lake, around the sports. Some people's life uh, revolves around this or that, a newspaper or whatever it might have been. But here we have a group of people who to give themselves to ministry in the house of God. How important is that house? It's important for the health of the children of Israel. It's important for their victories on the battlefield. It's important for the victory that they have in their own individual tents. How important is church to you? The Bible says, let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Do you realize that when they put the tabernacle up and they had the Levites all around it, it would have been very difficult to skip your duties in the tabernacle and everybody could see that your tent door was open and you were there. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to get out of your duties as physically laborious as they were cutting and carving? and washing, and preparing bread, and all of these things in the tabernacle. But the Levites could never say it's too time-consuming, and it costs too much. But how many times have people complained about having to go to church two or three times a week? And people complain, oh my goodness, I mean, you folks are fanatics. I can't believe anybody goes to church more than one hour a week. I mean, God goodness, that's just too much for me, that 45 minutes or an hour. Well, some people act like it's like taking cough medicine or something, you know, but serving God should be a joy. And I think that for people who served in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, many of them probably couldn't wait to serve in the kingdom of God. That's exactly how we should be. We get to serve. It's not that, oh, my goodness, I have to serve, but it should be a joy. I get to do something in God's house. And even if you do a lot of things for the king and you work behind the scenes and no one knows what you're doing, if you ever feel like you don't get the gratitude that should come your way, I want you to know there's a verse in the Bible that says God is not unrighteous to forget your work of faith and your labor of love. So he's paying attention. And if you don't ever hear the thank yous that you think you deserve, God is keeping a record. But we should always be grateful. The Bible says, let another man praise you. Let another person, you know, offer to you gratitude. So verse 50 then tells us with them living around the tabernacle, that place is going to be safe. But verse 51 says, when that tabernacle sets forward, then they're going to take it down. How did they know it was time to move on? The cloud of God lifted and started moving. And how will you know when God is leading and guiding you in your own Christian life, you will have inside of you some inward witness of the Holy Spirit that either binds you to a place or to a job or releases you. And you'll know when nobody else knows. And other people may try to talk you into staying when you believe God is saying go. Other people may try to talk you into going when you believe God is telling you to stay. But you have to understand how God's cloud is at work over your temple, over your tabernacle, because your life is different. And all of us are Levites working in the kingdom of God now. We don't have one place in Israel or one place in the desert where we worship, we have a body of Christ that is all over the earth in more than 200 nations. Think about that. A lot of different people need to know 
about who the king is. More than 900,000 islands, they say, that are on this planet. That's a lot of islands. You understand that? A lot of islands. Philippines, thousands and thousands of islands. Indonesia, thousands of islands. I have no idea how many islands there are out in the Pacific. And as we're here this evening and we're teaching, there's somebody somewhere on a small little island looking up in the sky saying, God, if you're up there, do you even care? Can you send somebody to talk to us? And there'll be somebody who will sense that the Lord is telling them to go to this particular people group. The cloud lifts and it moves in that direction. Well, it's the Levites that are involved with setting it up and taking it down. Now, I'm not going to take a poll, but there are a number of, in here, number of you in here that like to camp. I'm not included in that number. And that's only because I was forced to camp when I was a young man in the Marine Corps. But but for you that enjoy tent pegs and setting up tents and being out there in the environment and you love mosquitoes and all of that kind of a thing, you, you know that the establishment of the camp usually takes a lot longer than the breakdown. Because, of course, when you're putting the tent and everything up, everything's got to be precise. You want it to be the way it's supposed to be. When it's time to break it down, you're just snatching stuff up and you're clearing the area and you're getting ready to go. But if you were a Levite and you had to deal with the tent this big with this many vessels. And then you knew that they were holy and sanctified. You can imagine how they had to arrange things and carry them. And the scripture says at the end of verse 51 that a stranger or an alien or a non-covenanted person would be put to death if they came near the tent. So even in this particular situation, you can see how important it is for a believer to be connected with the things of God. This is why we don't use sinners in the work of God in a local church. On college campuses years ago, they were having arguments and lawsuits because there were atheists who were suing to be the leaders of Christian groups on campus. Can you believe that on certain university campuses, they actually allowed atheists to lead Christian groups? Well, they may have voted to allow them to lead them, but I can promise you they would have never led me because I would have never attended another meeting. The scripture says a stranger should not be allowed to come nigh. Who wants to have an, an atheist in charge of the evangelism group in the church? And who wants to have a pastor that's an unbeliever? I, I met a man like that one time. I was coming out of California, and I was standing in the uh, line to get my ticket to get on the airplane, and the man struck up a conversation with me, and I could see he was eager to talk, and he asked me what I'd been doing. I said, I'd been preaching some evangelistic meetings here. And then I turned around and kind of went back to just standing there waiting for my turn, and then he struck up another part of the conversation. So we start talking, and <clears throat> then I've come to find out that he's a, a former monk, part of a Catholic establishment, and he left it, I guess, for whatever reason, think he wanted to get married or something, 
And he was telling me that I wasn't even really engaging him, but we were just listening to all of this. And so finally I got myself arranged for the seats and all of that and went, took my little spot, sat down over in the corner, just hoping to be left alone. And then he wanders right over there to where I am. And and uh, he had been asking me what kind of an evangelistic meeting it was. And so not knowing what his background was with the church, I said, well, have you ever heard of Billy Graham? He said, yeah. I said, well, uh, you know, it's like Billy Graham, but Billy Graham doesn't preach on some of the things that I preach on. I said, so have you heard of um, Oral Roberts? He said, yeah. I said, like Oral Roberts? I said, Oral Roberts preaches on some things that I wouldn't preach on. But then I said, have you heard of Jimmy Swagger? He said, yeah. I said, that's where I come from. He said, oh, okay. So he followed me over there in the corner. And when we got there, he said, are you one of these people to believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? I said, well, yeah, I said, the Bible says that there's no other name given among men under the heaven whereby we must be saved. And and, and, and then again, I stopped talking and just went back to what I was doing. So he, he comes back into the conversation after about a minute and he gets loud. He said, you trying to tell me you're one of these people. You honestly believe that all these folks sitting here in the airport that don't believe in Jesus Christ, that they're lost. Well, I'll be honest. I was shocked that he raised his voice, but I wasn't surprised that I raised mine even louder. And so I said to him, that's exactly what I'm saying. Everybody in here that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, including you, are lost. Well, he just couldn't believe there was a dinosaur like that still on the planet, you know. And, and so he, he kept he kept talking to me. He just was was astonished. And he told me, he said, look, I mean, I, I, I still like religion. I think he was in Arizona or somewhere. And he said, I go to a church where... The, the pastor isn't a Christian and the, the piano player at our church is an atheist. And so I said to him, well, why do you call it a church? Because if you don't believe in Jesus, then why would you waste your time with something like that? Well, here's the point. Here is a man out of relationship with God, but yet trying to do the religious things to make people think there's a connection with God. And this is the very thing in verse 51. God did not want. He said, the stranger that comes now shall be put to death. So we all love John 316, but we forget John 317 and John 318 that lets us know that the wrath of God abides upon the unbeliever. They don't even know it. So all over this world, people who don't believe in Jesus don't even have a clue that the wrath of God is opposing them. And there's a sentence of death hanging over their lives that can only be removed by the blood of Jesus. So verse 52, then he says, the children of Israel, Every one of them will pitch by their own camp, their families, by their own standard. That's their own marker or flag. So that you knew when you went into the area of Asher, you knew this is where their camp begins. You knew that when you came over near the tribe of Reuben, here is where it begins. Here 
is where it ends. There was no ambiguity at all. You knew where the dividing lines were, and that is how it is as a Christian. We are not supposed to be so mixed and mingled with the world that we don't know where the world begins and the church ends. The Lord said, come out from among them, saith God. Be ye separate from them, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be children unto me. I can promise you that within all of these camps, you would not have found any Hittites. Or not have found any Philistines would pitch the tent in the middle of the night. I can promise you nobody was running around with an Assyrian statuette of a goddess. And they were bowing to it and praying in the middle of this. God would have never tolerated it. But how many idols do we have in our hearts? How many things do we have preserved in the crevices of our heart that no one else is able to see but God? And we're very much like Rachel when she was running from her father and she sat up on her camel and had her father's gods beneath her. And they couldn't even find them because she told them she lied. I don't have them and you can't search this beast because the manner of women is upon me now. There are a lot of us that may have these secret gods. And have you ever thought about the fact that that doesn't please the king? That kind of deception. But the Bible says in verse 3, the Levites are the ones that pitch about that tabernacle, that there be no wrath. God wanted a buffer zone, and he somehow wanted the Levites to be in charge of that tabernacle. That's his plan. So all of us are Christians. All of us are priests unto God. And we should do like they did in verse 54, do everything that's been commanded of the Lord. We should obey that. Now let's come to the New Testament and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to show you something. In 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse number 27. Now all of you are the body of Christ and members in particular. He has spent the preceding verses using the human body as an analogy, as a metaphor. To help us to understand how the church is supposed to function. So he's told us in the preceding verses, like verses 15, 16, and 17, that the whole body can't be a nose. Whole body can't consist of a hand. The whole body can't consist of a foot. But you are uniquely and wonderfully made. And most of us don't even stop to think about how God beautifully designed the body, how the eyes are in the front. We're not like owls that can turn our heads around 360 degrees. How God designed humans in the aspect of physical love that makes us different from animals. God has gone out of his way to design a beautiful creation using the body then for his his uh, his metaphor, he says the church then functions because there are many components. And when all of these components are together and functioning correctly, we are the body of Christ. So verse 28, he says, God hath set some in the church the same way he set the spine in the body. First apostles, somebody sent 
of God to do a particular work. Secondarily, prophets. Somebody involved with divine utterance and prediction, proclaiming God's word. Thirdly, teachers, people who take the complex and simplify to make it understandable. Miracles, those things that produce wonder, those things that startle and point toward God. Then gifts of healings. Individual manifestations that produce the recovery of health. Now, having read those first few, there's nothing in this verse or any other chapter that's going to say, having set them in the church, they're only supposed to function for a certain season. Now, I say that because God put a heart in the human body. How many of you know the heart's still operating ever since he put it in Adam and Eve? You better believe it. Still operate. And in every generation, there have been some kidneys that have worked and there have been lungs that have worked. And God never said that once Adam and Eve died, that one lung would be sufficient or one kidney would be sufficient. Every generation has had the same breath of life and power in that natural body to produce what's necessary for the heart to palpitate and the blood to circulate. So in the body of Christ, he said in verse 28, he said all of these things in there. But what I want to talk about is the next one that says helps. Now, of all the ministries in the church, you will have fewer people involved with the preceding things that are mentioned. But the largest ministry in the body of Christ worldwide is the ministry of helps. Yeah. We come in here and we sit down and we're grateful that a place is uh, clean and well taken care of. And of course, Sister Beavers comes in here during the week and does things in here to make sure that things are together. That's a ministry of helps. Because it helps the body of Christ, even when people don't think about it. Uh, earlier, when Anna and Phyllis were doing the song service, that helped the service, don't you think? How many of you know that, that a cappella singing is pretty good, but it really helps when you have a musician? If, if you don't believe it, get around some people that sing a cappella that can't sing very well. Then you'll see why a musician is a help. But do you realize there are churches in America today that still don't believe in instruments in the church, that a church service has to be non-instrumental? So we don't even afford ourselves the helps that God has made available for for uh, Will to do what he does and for recordings to take place over there. That helps also. So in the body of Christ, the largest ministry is the ministry of helps. Somebody picks up someone and brings them to the church. That's a ministry of helps. Somebody that's feeding the hungry. Someone working with kids. Bible studies throughout the week. Children's ministries. Women's ministries. Men's ministries. All of these are ministries of helps. And when you think about it. Just as all of these other ones have the the aura of being supernatural, but a ministry of helps is supernatural also. 
God has to touch a person's heart to want to do it again and again and again and again. And the ministry of helps is the one area of the body of Christ that often is done without any kind of financial compensation. You do understand that you go to a church, you find a thousand people. And of a thousand people, you'll find that there's usually anywhere from 50 to 75 people in that church that make it go. And they do the bulk of the work. The church is a essentially a volunteer organization, but it is possible to still tell people, thank you for what you do. And we love you and appreciate you. And it's still possible at the different times of the year to bless people, to go out of your way, to to help people in a variety of different ways. If, If you know there's somebody doing this or doing that, you can bless them a thousand times. And the Bible says we should be willing to receive. It's more blessed to give than to what? Receive. But everybody likes to be on the receiving end of a thank you. So for all of you involved with anything. It goes on with this fellowship. Thank you for the people who tithe, for the people who give offerings, for you that are faithful to come, for you that come early, for you that come late, for you that come at all. We're grateful to have people be part of the body of Christ. So helps. So when you think in a, in a, in a local church and people are trying to consider things that need to be done. The kinds of things that would be nice to have. Typically, if God puts a burden on your heart, the only way to get that burden off of your heart is to be able to fulfill whatever it is that God has asked you to do. If you ever felt like it, a, a, a ladies Bible study was needed, then maybe God wants you to instigate it. Maybe not necessarily teach it, but certainly put it together. If you've ever felt like getting guys together in fellowship once a month or a quarter was important to have a breakfast or to just get together and talk about the things of God. God may very well use you. And all it takes is someone to begin a thing and then around the beginnings can become a core and then God can bless a whole lot of people. If 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 more people understood the helps ministry, then I think we'd have more people involved with it. But it's not as glamorous, you know, because people like the pulpit. The pulpit is a great place to be. And and folks kind of like all the theatrics of it and that kind of a thing. But the people who who really keep a church moving are the people that are helping in a lot of ways. I've wondered how much time I would have. If I had to spend a whole lot of time cutting the grass uh, down at Revival Tabernacle and then down in Kansas. I mean, Revival Tabernacle has the grass around the church, then the grass to the west of the church, then the grass to the east of the church. All them lots over there. That'd be easily five or six hours, you know. But I, I have an opportunity to spend time visiting people, going into hospitals and things like that. And, and I'm always grateful to be able to do that. But but then for even the ones that I have in the churches that help me with that and go and visit when they know I can't be there because I'm in another location. That's a helps ministry. I mean, 20 some years I've been out here 
teaching and preaching and traveling. There's no way, there's no way I would have been able to do the things that I'm doing if Mr. John wasn't here. Faithful in the pulpit, faithful to teach the word of God, plowing deep in the word and, and, and having people encouraged in God. And John and I both know what it is to come out here when there's nobody here and then teach like there's a thousand people out here. A watchman on the wall and faithful to do what God has called us to do. Because it never has been about any kind of strong financial compensation because it's never been about a whole lot of money down here that we've ever made in coming down here. But we've always been grateful to have a place that we could use as a platform to teach God's people. And when I watch folks who come from different churches and through the years, Anywhere from five, six, seven, eight different churches coming out here, pouring in here to receive the word of God. I think I know that God established this place for a reason. And there are a whole lot of pastors in these regions that have been here. They don't even know that the reason they've got folks in their churches that tithe is because we've taught them right here. They don't even understand they've got people in their churches that are super faithful because they learned it right here. That some of them learned how to operate in positions of government in their churches because they started right here, listening to us teach the word of God. So the helps ministry is important. And if you ever feel like there's something you want to do, we don't ever want anybody to feel like their hands are tied. You ever felt led to go into the prisons of York? We want to help facilitate that any way that we can. If you ever have felt led to do this or do that, to help feed the hungry, we want to be able to be a blessing any way that we can. If each one reaches one, that makes the kingdom of God stronger. But it takes the body of Christ to be a help to people who are in need of help in order for the hands of Christ to be able to touch people. It's through you that the Lord is able to sweep the floor in the school. It's through you that the Lord is able to drive a bus and take kids around. It's through you that the Lord is able to take meals to different people that are sick and shut in. It's through people like you that God's able to stand on a factory assembly line and make sure things come together. That somebody can fly an airplane or sit as a judge or operate in law enforcement. It's through people like you that somebody can coach kids, that he can coach kids and folks who know about God. But all of this is a ministry of helps if we understand that whatsoever we do, we do in the name of the Lord. So your job, so long as you can glorify God in that job is a helps ministry. If you stand behind that counter and deal with people's money, if you're involved with being a cashier or working with people's groceries, if you're even like Livia, being a personal trainer and and, and you're helping people and, and older people so that they can barely even breathe after one of her sessions, then you're still involved with some kind of helps ministry. That changes your whole focus When you realize my job really is a ministry, that every time somebody caretakes for the dead and has to go around the decedent's family 
and offer comfort, comforting words to people that are having some of the gravest difficulties of their life. And my wife and I, we've had to sit in on family squabbles when folks were fighting, when people were dying, when folks were fighting, when people have died. And folks were fighting when they put them in the ground and folks were still fighting long after the funeral was done. If I can still be a help, then I want to be a help. And I think that's a powerful thing, that your job working on that campus is a helps ministry. It's every bit as powerful as being an apostle, as having a manifestation of healing. It's every bit as powerful as the diversities of tongues to be able to function that way, you know. I think of Phyllis and her playing the music and then at this season of her life, you know, a lot of decades in ministries, a pastor's wife, a lot of young ladies she can pour into. Uh, the cup is filled with wisdom, able to just pour into people about life and things like that. And then you consider that God brings men and women to a place where they can take what they've known and then put it in other people. How many of us have had mothers and fathers, spiritually speaking, that really have touched our lives and we'll never forget them? And you're probably that for somebody right now and don't even realize that. A lot of times people, you know, they retire, then the folks give them the gold watch or whatever, and then everybody stands up and they say all these things to them like, you know, I watched when you came through that terrible time in your life. You lost a spouse or it was a divorce or whatever it was. And I just want you to know I admired you. You came in every day, kept your head high, and you always had a smile on your face and did your job. And then all that, that retiree is sitting there listening to all of this without even really realizing folks were paying attention to him or her every single day. See? But you've heard people say before, give them their flowers while they're living rather than give them their flowers when they're dead because you can't smell them then. And so in that regard, think about the blessings around this room right now. The many people who have shown you love and affection and care because we truly are a fellowship filled with people with very big hearts. And I'm grateful for that. Very grateful for that. Let's stand. We've had a lot of people come through this church through the years. And some of those who have moved on different places still keep in touch. They hit me with a text from time to time and ask me how things are going. Or sometimes they want advice or counsel. But folks, our ministry is a ministry of helps. Your ministry is a ministry of helps. And it's divine. And it's supernatural. So, Father, as we stand here right now in your presence, we're grateful for the many people that each of us have been able to reach and encourage and strengthen. But, Father, there's more to do. And in this fellowship, Lord, I pray that multitudes of ministries would be born. That, God, out of this place, there would be folks that want to do things locally, regionally. Even, Lord, called to the nations in order to secure the salvation of others through a powerful gospel. 
And Lord, help us to be good stewards over all that you have entrusted to us. We want to thank you now for all that you've done and all that you're doing and all that you will do. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Praise